0: Emerald Health Bioceuticals has developed the world's first non-cannabis line of herbs and botanicals that go beyond CBD. Each product is expertly formulated with their science-backed propriety, Phytocan Complex, a powerful blend of non-cannabis phytocannabinoids, along with other proven ingredients that support the vitality of your endocannabinoid system. Visit them at www.emeraldhealthbio.com to learn more. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. Andrea is away today. I love when I get a book that actually gives me things to do that are going to not only better my life, but better the world. This is a great book. It's called Give ash asterisk S-H-Asterick-T. <laughs> do Good, Live Better, Save the Planet, a Practical Handbook by Ashley Piper. Ashley, so excited to have you on.
1: Oh, I'm so excited, too. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, the book is fantastic, you know, and I have to say, I think what you've done is so good because you write a book that's really funny and enjoyable and clever and gives us those hands-on tips that we all need. I also love that you uh, talked about uh, making the natural lip gloss uh, when you were 11 and how even (laughs) the mean girls, you know, were nice to you. So that must have been some lip gloss.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it was magic. So I grew up pretty... Pretty similarly to a lot of people a lot of americans i would say i was eating meat for every meal pretty much um i had i was attuned to a few different like environmental slash animal rights issues like i learned about animal testing on cosmetics at a very young age because as i described in the book i found a pamphlet at uh, my local grocery store that kind of detailed the gory reality of animals used in vivisection for testing the efficacy of products so those kinds of things I was decently attuned to. Um, but I, I kind of just went on a personal journey uh, around sustainable living when I maybe was in my 20s um, and I'm 37 now. And just was honing kind of personal habits and tips that I would pick up or develop um, just for myself, just for my own personal rubric of living. And it wasn't, and I was also a political strategist at the time. And I kind of had this like quarter life crisis where I really enjoyed my career, but I also thought, oh gosh, you know, the planet is really in peril. I wish I could parlay the skill set that I have that I'm doing for politicians and bring that into messaging in a more kind of warm and approachable way, how easy living sustainably can be. And so I did kind of transition my career into doing some of this sustainable living stuff on the side. And at first I was, you know, blogging about it. And that just felt like I was preaching to the choir a little bit. Um, And then I started writing for more mainstream outlets like Refinery29 and Glamour, um, really bringing the conversation to the fore around sustainability um, and then doing television as well. And so through those, I think the book was kind of a natural extension of all of those enterprises, because I would have people say, you know, I, I really do care. I really do want to do things that are better for the environment. And I really do believe that everybody is quite well-intentioned. Um, but I just don't know where to start, you know, or it just feels like such a big problem that I don't even know where to begin or I don't even believe that what I do, even if it is something that's a big step for me, is going to make a difference. So I really wanted to write a book that would, one, debunk the myth or the stereotypes um, that living sustainably is crunchy, it's fringy, it's exciting. Expensive. It's going to make you weird. You're going to be wearing all crazy hemp clothing and fanny packs and stuff. I didn't want it to feel like that. Sure. Um, and I also wanted people to kind of be reminded again, especially in this political climate, that it really it does matter, obviously, what our politicians do. Um, but we can still make positive impacts by making small shifts in our personal habits. Because it is really our personal habits and our consumption levels that have gotten us into this place, or into this mess in the first place. So, just reminding folks, like, I hate to overuse the term empower, but I hope that people find this book empowering um, because they remember the impacts that they actually have.
0: Oh, definitely. And I love how you have these different. Uh, different sections uh give us in your home in the kitchen in in your closet in the mirror in the wild let's talk about in your home you know i i grew up i was a kid in the 70s and my dad was super into recycling like even before it was big yeah so i was always into that and we eat mostly whole foods but if there's a box from something or or envelopes junk mail i don't think most people recycle that we even have recycling where you put everything in one place you don't have to sort anything
1: yeah, it's I don't really know. easy. It's so easy. <laughs>
0: I'm
1: like, what the hell? <laughs> right. right. You're absolutely correct. It's yeah. gotten way easier than when your dad was probably doing God's work over there, recycling all sorts of things for you guys. <laughs> I live in a city where it's, it varies by municipality. So I live in a city where we also have combined recycling, so I don't have to sort as well. Some cities don't. Um, some cities, you still have to separate out the paper, the plastic. And trust metals, me, I did that plastics. for
0: years, by the way. So I'm not, I'm, I think people should still do that. Like there was, I mean, we used to have so many different bags of all the different things. <laughs> it's definitely worth it. No,
1: I mean, same. I, there are certain areas that basically have to, may have to do a little bit more work, but I think it's estimated by the EPA that uh, almost like 92% of municipalities have curbside recycling or very easy recycling, as in you don't have to drive to a designated facility to drop it off. So some of the exceptions there might be folks who live in pretty rural areas, um, folks in underserved areas. But by and large, most of us, yes, are very, very lucky in that we have municipally supported curbside recycling, uh, which is pretty awesome compared to how it used to be. Um, and so it, that's why it is mind-boggling that people aren't necessarily doing it. But I do talk in the book a little bit about how while recycling is wonderful, and I'm sure you, you know, learned from your dad, and I learned growing up that like, the three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle, um, it always felt to me like recycling was kind of the end game. It was where trash went to become regenerated into something else. It was like the great savior of the environment. And really, we are kind of finding out that it's not as effective as we thought, or rather, it's not as effective when we use it as uh, the only thing that we're doing. So um, I think the EPA says that it's about 75% of our waste is recyclable, but only about 30% of that makes its way to the proper recycling outlet um and we know that recycling requires a significant amount of energy and resources and manpower to a certain extent and we also know that a lot of the that kind of margin of error there is is because of human error we know that you can go to a Starbucks for instance and I'm not villainizing Starbucks they have recycling receptacles right there which is great um, but you can go there and you can look in the recycling kind of bin and then you can look at the trash can and the contents of both are virtually identical that's not Starbucks fault. That's our fault. Exactly. You know, that we, we are well-educated around like what's not recyclable um, at that particular uh, retailer. So we're not super great at recycling and it's simply not the only solution for the planet. It's a nice complement to sure. an overall waste reduction strategy. Yes. Um, but really, I, I'm like hoping to encourage folks in this book too, to just look at how much waste are they creating or how much packaging are they purchasing generally and whether or not it's recyclable to reduce that.
0: You also have minimalism pared down to live it up because I only shop secondhand. Oh. Well, OK, underwears and bras I buy new, but everything else is secondhand from.
1: You are awesome, girl. You are doing it. Well, let
0: me tell you right now I'm wearing a, a dress from Prana. I got it on eBay for 20 bucks because it's, it's you know, used. It looks brand yeah. new and i it's normally 80 bucks. I'm not going to go... I mean, I love Prana's clothes, but I'm not going to buy them new. And then I feel right. better because... Talk to us about that, about the importance of secondhand and how that really helps. Because think about all the water it takes to like have a freaking pair of jeans, right? It's outrageous. Amen. Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a big advocate for what we call secondhand first. So whether you're buying clothes, you're buying a car, you're buying electronics, furniture for your home, as much as possible... Utilizing what's already here is 100% the most environmentally friendly thing that we can do. Um, If you must buy new, then I give a lot of guidelines in the book for how to find ethical manufacturers or a more just high-quality product that's going to withstand the test of time, whether we're talking about your home or your beauty and personal care routine or your kitchen or your wardrobe But yeah, second and first, and and what I was hoping to also just as as an aside to accomplish with this book, because I think you touched on it, and it brings me a lot of joy, is that (laughs) I was really hoping to show people that not only are these little tidbits, you know, completely customizable to your life. I don't want somebody to pick up this book and go, oh God, it's all or nothing. I can't be perfect, so I may as well not try it all. That ain't the point of this. No, not at all. Anybody who's busy can kind of pick it up and say, oh, one or two things I can do. You know, okay, if you are not feeling like you can eat more plant-based, oh, there's a lot of other things that you can do that still pack a nice wallop in a positive way for the environment. But I also wanted to provide all of the other benefits to living in this way. So you touched on a great one, which is, hi, saving money, and everybody likes that. Secondhand shopping is not only better for the environment because all of those items are already here. But it's fantastic for your wallet. And it's great for style. I know famous magazine editors at fashion magazines who almost exclusively shop vintage because they're tired of looking like everybody else when they go to these big events and stuff. They want something that feels unique. So there are quite a few benefits there. And we are hearing a lot more about how clothing recycling, for instance, Uh, isn't really that effective. We're going, you know, we're we're going and bringing tons and tons of clothing over to Africa. Nobody wants our used clothing, basically. So we need to find other ways to utilize it effectively, so that we're not making it someone
0: else's problem. Uh, let's talk about in the kitchen. Yeah, because I know uh, you talk about going vegan, which is big. And like you said, if somebody is looks at the that and says, "Oh, I can't do that," you can yeah. still eat, you can still eat more vegetables, and you can make little changes, right?
1: Right. Yeah. So I'm personally vegan and I have been for a while, but um, the book wasn't written necessarily from my personal convictions around it, but rather leverages a lot of data that we're especially seeing. You know, there was a a pretty longitudinal, well-researched study that came out of the University of Oxford early last month um, that said that transitioning to a more plant-based diet is the single most powerful thing you can do to positively impact the planet. The single most. So
0: oh, they, definitely. they had all these
1: other metrics of, you know, ooh, I'm driving a hybrid car or electric car, all this, but more powerful than any of those other swaps. So we've seen and we know based upon a variety of sources, and these are sources that have different political leanings, some have skin in the game, some don't. Um, over the past pretty much decade, um, we know that animal agriculture contributes to climate change pretty significantly. So anywhere from... to around 51% of harmful global emissions can be attributed to climate change. So that's pretty staggering, or can be attributed to animal agriculture. So that is pretty staggering. We can pretty safely make the correlation that what we're eating and what we're choosing to put on our plate can either help the planet or harm the planet. So we also know that animal um, products require significantly more resources than, say, a lentil or like soy milk. So... (laughs) Um, because there's been studies that are related to that, how much water, how much land, how much transportation, fuel, all that is required to bring certain items to market, and animal products are just notoriously high. Because if we look at it, animals are kind of the middleman mm-hmm. between grain and other things, and the meat that we eat. They're they're sort of like fed the grain, and then we get the meat. So I certainly don't. Uh, I'm not going to discourage anybody if they read the book and they go, oh, my gosh, I would love to be vegan or vegetarian tomorrow. I have already gotten some of like, those letters or you know messages oh, from people, great. which is exciting. Yeah. But I also wanted to just encourage people and also celebrate people for, hey, I had a meatless lunch today. I'm probably going to eat meat for dinner, but I still had an intentionally meatless lunch. That kind of stuff, I really believe that those changes make a big difference, too. So, I don't want anybody to pick up this book and feel like, ooh, I'm judging them or ooh, they're not good enough or anything. I really feel like even a shift in a meal, having a meatless day, having a meatless week, those things all make a huge difference. Yeah. Um, and, and also, just curbing meat consumption, you know, lessening it generally is shown to, to have a pretty positive impact on the planet.
0: Oh, that's great. You know, speaking of animals, let's get into uh, In the Mirror chapter. You have animal testing, and underneath, in parentheses, you write, is bullshit. Talk to us about this.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Is just, this is kind of a better issue for me because it was the thing I, that was like my gateway drug into animal and environmental stewardship when I was 11, and I found that pamphlet. Yeah. So animal testing, in the United States at least, is a really kind of disappointing topic because there are so many other countries that have already outrightly banned it um, for beauty and personal care products. So pharmaceuticals is a whole other bag of worms, bag of marbles, whatever you want to call it. Because there is a lot of animal testing that goes on in pharmaceuticals to determine whether or not something is quote-unquote safe. So I won't even get into that. But for beauty and personal care products, it's really not necessary. It's not actually very effective. Um, A lot of the animals that are used for testing, they're not bioidentical to people, shocker. So, you know, we don't, we don't have the same responses as a rat does, for instance, to a shepherd or as a rabbit might. And the tests are really barbaric. You know, they can range from more topical skin irritation tests, which can still cause significant damage to these animals, all the way to what they call kind of maximum lethal dose tests, which are forcing animals who are restrained, no painkiller, to ingest certain ingredients um and in certain quantities to determine at what point those ingredients can actually be fatal um so that is you know that's crazy right that oh, we yeah. are that that's still going on for home cleaners laundry detergents, shampoo lipsticks like just crazy especially since there aren't that many new ingredients that haven't already been, been tested being introduced in the market like, yes and we're not required by law in the united states to have any kind of animal tests done on those products, there's no governing body that says, "Hey, you know, it'd be great if you tested on animals." If anything, any of the governing bodies that do have any stake in uh, products coming to market are really encouraging folks to and companies to find non-animal methods of determining efficacy and effectiveness of a product. So, it's it's a very like weird legacy issue because. There are companies that have been testing forever, and there are companies that breed the animals that are tested on, and there's kind of a symbiotic relationship there that really involves money. And so it's something that, you know, we've seen the EU, we've seen Israel, India. There are a lot of countries that just say, mm, we're not going to do animal testing at all, and we're just pretty far behind on that. So I, t- I show readers how to find things that are, quote-unquote, cruelty-free, that don't involve any animal testing to come to market. Um, because I think it's important and I think it's something that a lot of people might know about, but they certainly wouldn't think it's still going on today. It's way too Game of Thrones sounding to be going on today.
0: (laughs) You're right. You know? Yeah, it's true. Well, that's what's so good in the book is because people want to know, well, then what do I buy and what do, what label do I look for? What ingredients do I look for? So I actually have a, a podcast now, uh, which you should come on, called Just Ask David, which is with David Pollock. He creates natural uh, beauty products and he has great stuff. If you look up Pure Attitude, they have really wonderful things. All right. I want to oh, awesome. talk. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Pet Pals, because if you go on my... Um, In uh, any social media you will see my my pit bull blue Uh, I call him Mr. Baby he is the sweetest boy in the world I'm always like ignore the bull get a pit in the book I love how you have this pet pals adopt don't shop and then you even have step on sustainable supplies which are really cool because I think when you get a dog uh, you automatically just run to the big dog or you know cat pet store place you know and you just buy all the stuff so talk to us a little bit about that
1: well, um, one, blue sounds like a doll. Uh, oh, so sweet. Two, I'm like you. I have uh, rescue and adopted animals who are like my children, yep. and I mean, it is just from the same way that I look at actually like buying clothing or buying wow. furniture for your home. Getting anything secondhand that's already here on the planet existing is far more environmentally friendly. But then I do feel like there's an ethical component, and people do tiptoe wow. around it because. There are still folks who go to breeders to get pets or pet shops, God forbid, Mm. and they think, oh, well, it's not a puppy mill, so it's fine. Well, no, but it's not the best choice you can be making. And I'm sure I'm going to have pitchforks at my house over that one, but it's simply (laughs) not. We know for a fact that in the United States we euthanize millions of animals every year, Mm. and it's not because all of those animals are too aggressive to properly be rehomed. It's because there aren't enough families. There's not enough space in shelters um to who are interested in adopting so we're taking great dogs and cats and other companion animals and we're putting them to death essentially um because we're not making space for them or because we are obsessed with going to breeders and getting a certain breed of dog because we are been brainwashed into thinking a kind of dog is hypoallergenic or whatever the crap du jour is that people are choosing to believe so i really am a big proponent like you are of animal adoption yeah um from a sustainability perspective, but also because I do believe it's like a moral imperative, right? Like, oh, we yes. know that millions of, you know, animals are being put to death every year, needlessly, like, and yet we don't help that problem. That's on us. So, yeah, uh, big time into that, obviously. But yeah, sustainable supplies, I kind of liken animals to kids. We think that, oh my gosh, we got the fanciest stuff. You know, for them, the best new toys—all this kind of stuff. We know that most pet food and also pet um, toys are made in China, yeah. um, so that in and of itself has kind of resource burden and environmental impact. And then they have to be trucked over here. I have actually found that all my dogs really enjoy cut-up old T-shirts tied into like you know ropes and stuff oh, yeah. that they can tug on, and it's a great way actually to get rid of like used underwear in a way that isn't throwing it in the landfill. It sounds kind of gross. You clean it, of course, beforehand. But I wanted people to know you don't have to go out and buy expensive stuff. No, you don't. It's kind of that old ad. It's like, you know, you get a, the kids like a gift for Christmas and it comes in the box and they're more excited about the box.
0: Exactly. I feel like
1: that's kind of how animals are. So, yeah, I wanted to give folks a little bit of guidance around if you do adopt a companion animal, you don't have to go and spend thousands of dollars on supplies for them. Um, one, they're going to be grateful as heck for to be part of your family. But two, there's a lot of very simple things that you can do to bring them joy and keep them occupied.
0: Yeah, it's true. When it comes to you know babies, I mean, people just go way overboard with all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. again, I did a lot of secondhand shopping for when my daughter was born. You know, there's so much. To, again, I, I love eBay because I can you can type in lot of clothes for newborn and you'll get like so many things and so Could what someone if someone's stopped? worn them before i don't know i to me that's just the way to go all right and the i last, love it yeah you it's, like, you it's, know, it's you really good, good. Oh.
1: <laughs> the physical embodiment of this book girl you are like the og of giving
0: a shit Woo woo! Oh, i do i do all right let's talk about food shopping i love this byob know before you go shop with the list buy only what you need grab organic when you can Support fair trade. Um, I like this. Eat ugly food. So we
1: throw out a significant portion of our food um, even after we've gotten it. But before it even gets to market, a lot of produce is just tossed because it's deemed not cosmetically appealing enough to be brought to the stores. So that's, that's crazy. In a country where there are people who are starving, Um, In a world where, you know, where there are millions of people who don't know where their next meal is coming from, where there's famine in other countries, it is criminal that we're throwing out properly good food just because we don't think it looks as good. So there are actually some cool companies like Imperfect Produce that will send you boxes of less cosmetically appealing fruits and vegetables that they have rescued um, from the pre-market cycle and bringing it to people. Because it all tastes the same, and in some cases it tastes even better because we know that those heirloom varieties can look kind of funky sometimes but yeah. they're you know the nutritional profiles all there the flavors all there so i do encourage folks to when they go to the grocery store you know to buy things that might look a little wackier because those are going to go to waste.
0: oh completely
1: um, yeah and and the, the other tips in there you know the one one woman called or called me she messaged me on instagram and she said oh my god And it felt to me like almost the simplest and silliest thing. But she said, I would have never thought that I need to snap a picture of my fridge and my pantry before I go to the store. But it has saved me so much time. Oh, that is such a great idea. So she just, with her phone, snaps the picture and goes to the store. And if she ever has the question of, ooh, are we out of this or whatever, she can just look and she knows. So simple tips like that. Again, I wanted to make it easy for folks. But I do encourage people to kind of what we talked about with the recycling situation as much as possible to really be thoughtful about the products you're buying that are in packaging. Um, and if possible, to, re- to reduce that. So, you know, I talked about how to effectively shop a bulk aisle, um, how to effectively buy produce and things without packaging, um, and then also some ingredients to maybe avoid, like, you know, looking for things that are fair trade. Especially when we're talking about chocolate or coffee, um, and also avoiding palm oil when we're talking about kind of more processed goods. So, there's, I think, something in there for everybody, everybody who grocery shop ever.
0: You really were, I mean, you must have worked so hard on this because it is so detailed and it's enjoyable to read, which is oh my great. God,
1: you're the nicest. You are so <laughs> sweet.
0: <laughs> you're making me feel good over here. Well, I admire it because I have a book coming out in January. Oh my. Oh well, it's called clean eating, dirty sex, and it's basically about how health you know healthy living affects your sex life. But it's so much beyond that. I mean, you could read this book if you're celibate, and you'll still get all this great advice. And in terms of how to live a healthier life, and what to eat, and how to shop, and just ever how to communicate. There's interviews with sexologists, uh, psychologists, nutritionists.
1: I'm hundred. It's available for pre-order right yes, now. Yes, it and is. Got, you'll have oh, to I'm doing ahead. that right after I. Yay. Right after I hop
0: off. well i would imagine your book is doing well i mean it is so good and by the way you have on the cover the time for stepping up and protecting our planet is now and this book is an easy enjoyable place to start moby damn yeah. girl i'm impressed thank you yeah
1: moby's been uh an animal activist for a really long time and i was lucky enough to have become acquainted with him a few years ago and she's, you know, been very supportive of the book. As with a lot of people, you know, I, I wanted to, when we had the galley, I'm sure you're probably in this process now, I did want to have some quotes on the book, but um, from people who are recognizable. But yeah, I, was, I wanted to also send the galley to kind of a diverse group of people. So yeah. Susie Welch on there, who's yeah. basically a financial expert among financial experts with Jack Welch. Um yeah. We've got Nicole Lappin, who also has like a bunch of great books. She, she writes Rich Bitch and Boss Bitch. And so it's, it's yeah, nice to see have. that um, yes. the topic resonates with a variety of folks who are doing different kinds of things out in the world um, because sustainability really is all of our responsibility. So it's
0: so it's true. Been cool. Oh, Ashley, you have to come back. You should have a podcast. You're really fabulous. Tell us all the ways that we can find you.
1: You can find information about me as well as the book at ashleypiper.com and that's A-S-H-L-E-E-P-I-P-E-R. Um, the book is sold on Amazon. It's at Barnes & Noble. If you're in Canada, it's at all Indigo stores. It's on IndieBound, Books A Million, Powell, The Strand, um, quite a few places. So uh, Target and Walmart. <clears throat> And then let's see what else. Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Ashley Piper
0: as well. Ashley, you are so much fun. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. You can check out more about Naturally Savvy if you go to at Naturally Savvy at Andrea Donsky at Health Media Gal 1. I'm so glad you listened. Stay well.